So another piece of advice I always give to people on Clubhouse, especially in New York, is like hire a good graphic designer because this isn't, you put it on word, objective, projection, budget. These are 100-page PDFs that people are coming with. 10-year plan. This industry is not amateur anymore, which is actually when I say that is extremely amateur, but it's not amateur looking. Like these are execs from Netflix. These are execs from CAA. These are execs from Adidas. Like people are coming in now, which sucks because we have to work through the kinks with these kind of people. But you just got to be ready to play. Like if this is your dream, like this, you got to make it a reality and just like no, no head in the clouds. Like you got to make sure you have all your ducks in a row so you don't get screwed. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hello and welcome back to the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Taravi, cannabis business owner and brand marketer. And I'm so glad you're here with me for another episode on the podcast. So to kick things off, I actually wanted to start by saying I'm so excited because I'm in a new studio. I recently moved. I kind of upgraded my recording set. I have a new microphone. My office isn't quite finished, which is for me something that, you know, I like to have things kind of finished and done before I kind of kick off something new, but it's coming together. So needless to say, I have a new vibe and I think that it's a really important aspect of promoting and creating this podcast to be, you know, the best quality that it can be. And I think the space that I record in is also a reflection of how I feel. And so I feel really good. I'm really grateful for the opportunity and the space to continue to do this. And yeah, I just wanted to highlight, I've been in a little bit of chaos because I've been moving, but I finally feel resettled and it feels awesome. So That's out of the way, but I have two more other updates that I wanted to kind of kick off with y'all before we dive into today's guest. One is sharing a personal milestone, really. I am the co-founder and CEO of Restart CBD. This is, you know, my business reflection in the industry. I have been a cannabis consumer for 15 plus years, but working in the industry professionally for the last three. And so Restart just celebrated its three-year anniversary this past week, August 18th to be exact. And I just wanted to highlight it because I think that so much of what I do is to learn more about the industry, to be a good steward of the plant to my customers and consumers, and to ultimately help educate not only our community, but really myself on how to better navigate this industry. Because as you all know, as the foundation of the podcast you know, reflects, there's a lot, it's a lot, it can be overwhelming sometimes. And so I just reflect on these last three years of being in business. You know, I got into cannabis as a business owner, because in 2015, I was in a car accident. Some of you may know this story, some of you may not, but the short version is, you know, cannabis is really personal to me and CBD in particular, because in 2015, I was in a car accident. My mother's the one who introduced me to CBD as this natural 
way to help me manage my pain and inflammation. And little did I know that that was going to be so powerful in my recovery and my healing journey in my life. That would ultimately be the foundation for me launching Restart. Now we are a sister-owned, family-owned brand. We do have a brick and mortar here in Austin where I'm born and raised, my hometown, but we also ship nationwide. And so we've you know been able to have our products in the hands of thousands and thousands of customers and helping them on their can of curious journeys. And we've certainly learned a lot and contributed a lot to the industry here in Texas. And it's been really rewarding as well as challenging, a lot of lessons learned. And so this milestone is just really important to me because we've worked really hard to get here. And I'm just really proud of all the effort and work that my sisters, my team, and our community has, you know, kind of wrapped their arms around for us to be the brand that we are. So I just wanted to mention that I think it's for sure a big, you know, piece of why I do this podcast is just to help connect those dots. And so we definitely celebrated the past couple of weeks and Thank you. Thank you. If you've supported Restart CBD, it really means the world to me and my team. The next kind of update is more on a reflection of the state of Texas. So definitely if you've been tuning into the podcast or you live in Texas, you're very familiar with the Texas hemp smokable ban. The essence of that is, you know, when Texas decided to legalize in 2019, there weren't really a lot of parameters around the productization or the go-to-market essentially of certain types of consumption methods. So smoking being obviously a huge one just because of the bioavailability of it. But I think Texas didn't really realize how important or popular that was going to be. And so it, it definitely caught the state off guard that they put a ban in place on not only selling smokables, but on processing and manufacturing and growing. And so if you can imagine, we have this new market, we're really excited. Hemp just became legal federally. It just became legal in our state. And now all of a sudden you're telling us that we can't do anything relating to smokables. So it was a huge devastation. There were a couple of companies that sued the state. Basically the judge, Judge Livingston presiding over the court case, she decided to put a pause on the ban, which was a godsend, which basically allowed us for the past year to continue to sell smokables and manufacture and process, et cetera. But we always knew that there was going to be kind of like the other shoe dropping. And they revisited the case early this year. It kind of got stalled out a little bit. And then a couple of weeks ago, we finally had the biggest piece of update, which was you could retail sell smokables. You just still couldn't manufacture or process, which to me was a huge, like, what the fuck? Because that basically means that I was able to sell smokables, but I had to sell products that were not manufactured or processed in Texas, which is super anti-Texas because Texas, like we love Texas. So why would you take that economic opportunity away from the state, away from those of us who are helping build and shape this industry? And so it kind of, you know, took some time. It didn't necessarily go into effect right away. It just was like the next major update that we had. And then a couple of days ago, actually, probably a week by the time this episode airs, Judge Livingston came out and she ruled the whole case unconstitutional. She said it was a huge overstep by the Department of State Health Services who was regulating this smokable ban. And so we got a little victory here in Texas in regards to smokables, which means not only can we legally sell them, but we can manufacture, grow, process all of it. And it's just a great win for Texas. I know it seems like a small step comparatively to some of the other states, but for those of us who have been navigating it and dealing with it. It's definitely a breath of fresh air to be able to confidently sell products as smokables instead of, you know, air quotes, this is not for smoking. So 
yeah, that's kind of a major update that a lot of Texans are celebrating right now. So to turn your attention to today's guest, to the topic du jour, I'm really excited because this woman has quickly become one of my favorite people in cannabis. She's super passionate, super knowledgeable. She's a digital marketer who is based in Los Angeles, and her name is Liz Udell. She's actually from the East Coast. She's from New York City. She spent some time in Florida and ultimately ended up in California, but Through her journey kind of coming into the cannabis industry, she's had a chance to work with brands like MedMen, Canacraft, West Coast Cure, Houseplant, Kush Queen, and Advanced Nutrients. So definitely some major players in the industry and as such has had an opportunity in helping those brands go to market, expand their market, open up in new states, open up new brick and mortars go online, navigate social media, influencer marketing, gifting, things like that. And just over the course of our friendship, we've started to have these kind of like, you know, one-on-one conversations, just basically the podcast, but like with literally like no filters and decided we needed to have that conversation again on the podcast actually, and still with no filters. So I hope you'll enjoy the conversation that Liz and I had recorded for you today Definitely a lot of lessons learned that she's shared so openly just about how she's navigated the industry and helped these brands navigate the industry from a digital marketing perspective. And so I'm really grateful to have her on the podcast, sharing her insight and knowledge and for y'all to get to hear her insight and knowledge. So final plug before I introduce Liz, y'all know I am a human. I have to remind y'all Liz is a human and we want to help shape the conversation by connecting with you. And so if there's anything that resonates with you or you have a question about something, do not hesitate to reach out. Literally, please slide into the DMs, giving you the permission to do so. So without further ado, let's welcome Liz to the show. My name is Elizabeth. I go by Liz. And I have been out in California for seven years. I do digital marketing for a lot of cannabis brands which has been a huge journey. So it is definitely unconventional. I grew up in Florida and, you know, I started smoking cannabis when I was 16 and it was pretty good. You know, I haven't really gotten high like that since, you know, which is like millions of reasons why I'm sure, but Florida weed was nice. And It wasn't until I got to college where I started buying my own weed and getting bongs because we had the best head shop in Florida. It's called Treasure Chest. And I was a server at Buca de Beppo. (laughs) So I was making coin because, you know, like I literally, I drove by there. I was leaving my first day of training at Cheesecake Factory. They set up like a tremendously hellish week, you know, nine to five, because that menu is a book. And I was kind of feeling down because I'm still in college and I drive by Buca de Beppo and I'm like, wait a second, that's like family style. Those are big checks. Like, I think I'm going to get big tips. And I walked in, they were actually about to start a new round of training. So I got the job and I spent all my money on bonds. Literally, like we had the best collection, all of my friends and I, and we would just always go to Treasure Chest. And there I really started to enjoy a different side of weed. I really was experimenting. It wasn't until like 2013 where concentrates 
like oil, like the really old style G pen where you just like open the top and put the oil in and heat up. Like that was becoming a thing in Florida. So I came out to LA in the summer of 2013 for 13, yeah, for a summer internship. And I worked at Guest of a Guest, which is event coverage. And I had the time of my life. Like I was here for three months. I was 22. I was like, you know, going to all these parties. I was loving, you know, the electronic music scene. So when I had to go back to, I went to UF. So when I had to come back to Gainesville my last year, I was so depressed. I'm like, how can I go from Los Angeles to the swamp? And as soon as I got back, I realized I wanted to work for one of the EDM blogs. So Dancing Astronaut was the biggest at the time in my mind, but I didn't have enough experience, I felt, for Dancing Astronaut. So the second best to me was EDM Tunes. And I hit up the editor-in-chief, who's still literally one of my best friends, like I just saw him the other day, Jay. And I'm like, hey, you know, my degree's in PR, I'll do your PR and, you know, things like that. And he's like, well, we don't really need PR, but we need another writer. And I've always written, you know, for fun stuff. And I was like, all right, like, let's do it. And I'm on the East Coast, everyone else is on the West Coast. So I'm waking up at like 7 a.m. my time, 4 a.m. there. And I'm like, all right, we got stories. This is happening. This is happening. And they were still asleep. <laughs> I'm just like, guys, like, you, like, news breaks on the East Coast. So, pretty soon they just like started to like green light everything. And I just killed that position. Like Miami was popping in 2013, 2014, all the college tours, you know, you have at least seven good universities in Florida. So Skrillex, Zed, Porter, Dasik, like there was a show every other day and I was working in electronic. I was so happy. And in March I went to ultra and this is, you know, just one of those like serendipitous moments. Like if I had left the stage 10 seconds earlier, but I was backstage and I crossed paths with a friend and we stopped to talk. And then another person walked by who ends up being Pasquale Rotella, the CEO of Insomniac, his tour manager. And he knows my friend. So they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like come to our table. And there I meet my future bosses at Insomniac. And we all ended up spending the whole night together partying. and. You know, I told them, I'm like, well, I don't graduate till September, but you know, it's on my radar. And then a few months later, I saw an opening for Insomniac and I like texted one of the guys and I'm like, hey, I'm going to apply for this. And then they call me immediately and they're like, wait, you know, we have a social media role opening up in a few months. Like if you can just like, wait, you know, we want to get you out there. And I like didn't want to wait. I just wanted to quit school right then and there. My mom's like, are you kidding me? You have three more credits. Like just slow down. It's going to be there. And yeah, as soon as I graduated, I came out to LA and I worked for Insomniac and it was incredible. Event and music marketing is really, really tough because pretty much everything is an announcement. Everything is always, you know, riding on the ticket sales, everything. It's just, it's very, you know, event driven, of course, but it's like the day to day because you like Insomniac had hundreds of shows a month throughout the country. So I was working on 15 brands at once that was posting three times a day because, you know, you have EDC, you have Beyond Wonderland, you have Nocturnal Wonderland, you have Escape from Wonderland, you have EDC Mexico, you have EDC Orlando, you have EDC New York. Like it's just 
I was like just thrown into it and given thousands and thousands of assets to choose from. And that's when I really just started to understand content marketing and putting together social campaigns. And I've never ever worked anywhere else again where I've had that much content to play around with, of course, because like you have hundreds and thousands of images per festival and then they're just in a folder and it's like, all right, we had to promote this show for three months, have fun. And you get to, you know, pull from there. So I was always really grateful for that. And then after Insomniac, I went to a app called Social Nightlife where I really just got to learn everything. It was a really small team. It was an event ticketing app. So you were able to book shows through there and tables. And I was working, you know, on code on the back end, the product manager and doing the social media and the blogs and starting with ads. So it was really cool to kind of learn all these new things because Insomniac was, I was mostly on the organic side. And then while all this was going down, I was very much enjoying cannabis. (laughs) And back in 2015, my friends had a company called Dabble. And this was like the beginning of the 510 cartridges. And I remember just like being like blown away because like I said before, you know, when I was like portable dabbing was the G-pad, you know, you literally, you have to load a dab still. So these 510 cartridges was so cool to me. So I became a sales rep and I would just, you know, I learned firsthand how you get in touch with buyers. Um, While I was in there, I would also try and be like, Hey, you know, I'll do your social media for a hundred bucks a week. But back then with the raids and, you know, it's legal, but not in medical, no one knew what would happen tomorrow. You know, no one wanted to do marketing. No one had an Instagram. There was no benefit to it. You don't want to be blown up. Like no one wanted marketing because then, you know, people would find out that, you know, the dispensary is open till 2 a.m. So I would just try any way I can. And then next year, 2016, while I'm still doing social nightlife, my other friends start a distro company called Buddies. And Buddy was really cool because I felt like I was, you know, really doing something for once. Like, you know, we were taking meetings, we were selling to dispensaries because, you know, it was so easy. You get a pound, you put it in the shop, you walk away with cash, you're done. Like there's no paperwork. There was nothing like it was so easy and you were meeting so many brands. And that's how I met Olivia from Kush Queen. And you just really got to boots on the ground. You know, you were meeting the dispensary owners, you're meeting the buyers, you were going into all these different dispensaries, you were seeing all these brands that, you know, were operating in really small capacity because this was in 2016. And I would just do everything that I could, you know, like finding brands to work with and bring on, doing the social media, going to events, I also started with this little agency called Brand Hire, and they were focused, I believe, in Massachusetts. And there was this little company in Maine called Pier 27 that I like worked with on copywriting and their websites. Like that was cool. And it's just like so interesting to me, like talking about this now and looking back. And it's like, I'm surprised that things were able to get done. You know, like the industry was not like this wasn't like the industry, like the fact that I was even able to find a company in Maine. Like, I feel like it's just completely accelerated so quickly. But back then, um, everyone was really just navigating on their their own little silo. And then still doing this, still doing this. And then 2018 starts and California goes wreck. 
and I see med men everywhere. And it literally is like they painted the town red and it's, you know, first legal, all this stuff. And I wanted to work there. I'm like, they have like real marketing. They have billboards. They're taking out ads. Like I want to work there. I want to use my marketing skills. So in January, I, January, 2018, I interviewed, I had an opening for a digital marketing manager and I interviewed and I didn't get it because they were looking for email first. So then in March, about two months later, my old boss, Abby, who I interviewed with, she reached out and she's like, hi, so now we're hiring for social media. And you know, if we, we want to bring you back in. And I met with her again. I met with a CMO. And then I got the job. And it was so amazing because I had been remote for social nightlife for like two and a half years in my apartment. Like Amendment had a really cool office in Culver. I was the happiest I'd ever been at that point. And I came in, the social media was pretty much nothing. Grew us, oh my Lord, like grew us like 90,000 followers in like a year. Got us verified. Did incredible, incredible content. I think what's really tough about MedMen is we did so much in the first year, you know, which led to the downfall but we just were doing stuff that now people are starting to do. So it's like, we didn't make that much of an impact because we're doing so much else. But like, yeah, like I started the influencer program. No one was seeding or doing like influencer partnerships like this yet. You know, like, cause MedMen, MedMen was operating like an actual retailer. Like we are a store that sells cannabis. We're doing everything everyone else could. You know, we did the commercial with Spike Jones. We made a magazine with paper called Ember we were doing this whole like really high-end merch line. So we were definitely trying to show the world that, you know, cannabis is consumed in California like anything else. Like it's the norm. It really is like the day-to-day. So we did incredible campaigns. I got to learn so much digital marketing. I mean, I came in there doing social. I left doing email, SEO, web, advertising, blog, all the influencer relations, product man, product marketing, like I call it a boot camp because I just learned so much. And then with the downfall, of course, they you know fired all my leadership and they just you know really made it not fun. I'm like, all right, I can't stand what's happening right now. You ruined the best job ever had. So I'm going to look elsewhere. And I went to a brand called West Coast Cure which is awesome. They've been around the legacy brand and like really, you know, hip hop. So when I was there, we were able to sponsor Rolling Loud, which is great. It's funny because it's an insomniac festival. So as soon as I left music, I work with it even more. Like we do so many events with influencer seating. It's to my musician friends. Like it's just, it's always around. So with West Coast Cure, we did the sponsorships and it was so fun. But then the pandemic hit and I was commuting about an hour and 15 to West Coast Cure. And then I had a death close to the family. So all of this all happened within like a week, um, right? Like March 1st, you know, last year. And then Advanced Nutrients reached out, which is also an old school nutrients brand for growing cannabis. Big Mike, he's the CEO and founder. He's known out here in LA for the parties. And they were offering me pretty much, you know, like 
a little bit more money and they're also like 15 minutes away. And I was commuting like an hour and 15 on the train. So I took that job and then the pandemic hit about two weeks later. And then I was remote all of 2020 with advanced nutrients and they were going through turnover like mad. And I, you know, was just really focusing on the social media and the digital and the content, but because of everyone being remote, it was really disorganized. So by September, I was kind of looking elsewhere and I got a role at Houseplant to help with the project they were working on, some like educational program. So I did that for a few months, which was really cool. And then I got into Clubhouse, which was the biggest like game changer because Clubhouse, I got on in November and I met so many people. And I realized that I definitely have a specialty. I worked with some of the biggest brands in the industry and I have a lot of knowledge to give. So I started really connecting with various people on Clubhouse and just really helping out, answering questions. A lot of people are struggling throughout the country, especially in states that aren't legalized yet. And everyone's just looking for guidance. And we never really had this before. You know, you go to trade shows and all this kind of stuff, but we were really connecting with people all around the world on like such a bigger level. And I've had a lot of really great friendships come from Clubhouse. So what we were doing was in, like, like I said, just incredible. So in January, like the middle of January, my friend at Canacraft, she told me that they were looking for someone to do social. And she's like, you've worked with, you know, multiple brands at once, which is why like, I know you can do this. And I've known Canacraft for a while. I marketed them heavily when I was at MedMen, their absolute extracts, Farmer and the Felon, Care by Design, Gem and Jane, Satori. And I ended up really hitting it off with the CMO and been there ever since. So I've been there since February. I do social and digital and I love it. I love these brands. It is so refreshing to be back at a big brand again because yeah, I mean, the last few years have been totally toxic and just flip-flopping and not fully being as happy as I was once at MedMen. Because cannabis marketing is tough, you know, especially if you're like, it's really, really boring to always go to the smaller brands and help build them up because I'm like, I'm reinventing the wheel every single time. Like there are only so many content directions that we can go in. There's only so many things that we can post. So I was definitely getting a little bored when I was doing like some small consulting because I'm just like, I've been doing, I'm doing this over and over. I'm literally copying and pasting the same strategy because it's really hard to be creative in this day and age in cannabis and CBD. So being able to be back at Canacraft and these brands that are just, you know, legacy brands and already popular and people are making content and we're working with so many content creators with a focus on video right now, you know, with reels and just, you know, telling the story the way it should be told. And along the way, I have linked up with Olivia again for Kush Queen. I've run her ads on Google, Facebook, Instagram forever. And it's just so funny because, you know, I wanted to work with her back in like 2015 and it just wasn't the time or the place yet. And then in 2019, we finally started working together and we still work together. I just got her verified on TikTok the other day. So first, you know, 
first female cannabis TikTok creator to be verified. And it's just been such a trip. This has been an incredible year. I started teaching at San Diego State University in November. I teach content writing and social media management. And yeah, that's the journey right now up until today, which is July 21st. (laughs) That is the journey so far. That is such a cool journey. I loved getting to hear all the different details because obviously you and I have connected. I even remember Clubhouse obviously kicking off and seeing, I think your name pop up in some of those conversations and you're right. It's really, was a really cool platform to get connected to in the hype of when it was, I don't know, maybe people will punch me for this, but I don't think Clubhouse is as hyped as it was oh, yeah. kind of a couple of years ago. But I think for people who are mm-hmm. still on the platform, they're probably finding a lot of good gem conversations because I think that things are still happening there. But that aside, I mean, you said a lot of really key things that I want to kind of pick apart a little bit because I think that there's so many things going on in cannabis. I mean, you highlighted obviously just the timing of when things are legal. And so transitioning from a medical market to an adult use rec market we definitely still have challenges when it comes to digital marketing, playing on certain platforms as cannabis brands and businesses in general. But you said something about you enjoy playing with the bigger brands. And obviously it's because they have more of a budget perhaps when it comes to investing in ads or creating content and reflecting on your time at Insomnia, like being able to have this repository, which is fed by money, you know, to go create all that content or to put on all those events and have all this, you know, opportunity for assets. But knowing that there are a lot of smaller brands who are obviously trying to establish themselves, I'm curious what your kind of thoughts are, your tips are. The two-part question is, one, as you've observed the industry, like, yes, there's legacy brands, but what makes a legacy brand? Like, obviously, that brand had to start from nowhere to become something somewhere. And then also, two, reflecting on your clubhouse conversations when you are having people kind of reach out to you. What are some of the pain points that people are asking for advice to kind of help navigate? Because I think we all want to be a someone. I don't think anybody in business is like, oh, I'm just so happy, you know, making the same impact I did, you know, yesterday, today. We all want to grow. Obviously, the rate of growth varies based on the brand, the story, the finances, the investments, the scalability, the team, but kind of, if you could distill it down and kind of use everything I just highlighted as a jumping off point, you know, what would you kind of walk someone through? Who's like, man, I would love to grow my brand to be a big brand. And maybe they don't have infinite amount of money, but they have some money, you know, like what would you tell them to invest in? And what are kind of some of those key things for them to walk through? Hello, just want to take a quick moment to thank my sponsor and full disclosure, my company, Restart CBD. Restart CBD is a brand that I built with my sister, so we are family-owned and women-owned. We do operate a brick and mortar in Austin, so if you ever find yourself in Central Texas, we'd love for you to come say hi. But we also ship nationwide, and we carry a wide range of CBD products We really care about this plant. We really care about educating our customers. This show would not be possible without their support. So please go check us out at restartcbd.com and use code TOBEBLUNT for $5 off your next purchase. Thanks, and let's go back to the show. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. One of the biggest takeaways is definitely how cannabis is being sold and how these are businesses now in America. So with any small business now, you know, we have to just put cannabis right there in there. So, you know, that's why you have the big corporations and then you still have, you know, the mom and pops. But unfortunately, it's the industry that doesn't care about the mom and pops because the licenses are so expensive. Um, The upkeep of the licenses, you know, you have to renew every single year. You have to have a great lawyer. So there's your funds. You have to have a great accountant. So there's your funds. If you're lucky to have any leftover for marketing, you know, like that is, you know, small budgets. Like the big budget marketing is harder to find than the smaller ones. Even, you know, the big dispensaries out here, you know, like Artistry, they only have two locations. They're not going balls to the wall. A lot of dispensaries out here have slowed it down. MedMen, we're doing $100,000 per content shoot. They don't do that anymore. Okay. Now it's like, we rely on content from the brands. So I would say when people are coming to me for advice, I always say first, you know, keep track of your local laws because they change all the time. And you want to make sure you actually can do what you want to do where you physically are because counties legalize it at the end of the day. So, you know, if you want to make a shop and you want to open up, you know, like LA County, you got to understand how you have to make that a reality. And that's by looking, you know, at the fine print, going to the community meetings, staying on top of it. Sometimes that requires, like I said, hiring a great lawyer because you want to make sure you can actually make your dream a reality first. I find there's a lot of head in the clouds in this industry, which is a shame because everyone is relying on, you know, misinformation at the end of the day. You see, you know, your state is legalizing, you get so pumped, but you don't understand that it's going to take three years for this to happen. So, you know, I would just say first, understand the industry. If you always had your dream of owning a shop and, you know, you have a small budget, those things don't really go together because the industry isn't really helping. Once you get past all the actual things you have to pay for, which is your license, your, you know, like your distro, like absolutely everything, marketing always gets the short end of the stick um, because we are very limited in what we can do. Um, I think it's really awesome to see unicorns fail because they put millions into marketing that is just so out of base. Like look at Away, for instance. Away put millions and millions into their Google advertising without fully understanding that a suitcase is a once every 10-year purchase. So all these brands in all industries that just go so hard on marketing dollars, which is so obvious because it's like, how are you going to make that up? Like if you raise $500 million for Casper and you put $30 million into marketing, it's a mattress. How often are people buying mattresses? So this is how all these unicorns implode, LOL, MedMen, because you're using too much on your marketing. You're doing too much. The ROI is not there. With cannabis, it is incredibly difficult to even say what your ROI is. When I'm trying, you know, when I'm posting social media ads, I'm hoping you see this and get off the couch 
and go to a store and buy this. Like the journey is so complicated. So I always say, you know, marketing lasts after, you know, you get all your ducks in a row and then you don't have to even have a marketing budget to even start on social media, you know, go to Tumblr. If you're carrying brands, feature their content, do reposts, go, you know, take memes. You can be really creative and you can be a really great marketer without spending a dime. Since you're barred from most advertising outlets, there's money you're not spending. You know, if you want to put a couple of thousand a month to a photo shoot to get it going, partnerships are really great. You'll probably want to emphasize email and SMS right now because it's a direct way. You know, like that's the thing. With cannabis, we are so limited to directly reaching people. So SMS and email is so important. Built out email campaigns is not always on the forefront of these people's minds. But, you know, even if you just, you know, shoot out an email a week with your daily deals, like that's all you need. So yeah, like I always just like tell everyone that you can pinch pennies the most when it comes to marketing. Influencer seeding is really important too. You know, if you also want to give a few thousand to a PR agency that'll get your product out there. Those are really great outlets. When I saw MedMen doing the billboards, I knew that I'd have the most freedom. You know, when I see money, I see freedom to do anything I want to execute. MedMen wasn't being smart about it. So, you know, everyone who has money right now is still struggling. I do not see global national campaigns from any of these MSOs. It's kind of pointless because it's national. Like Cureleaf isn't here. Why would Cureleaf do a national campaign? Because it's like, fine print, only in Massachusetts, only in this, only in this. So whenever you just get the chance to, you know, kind of be a little creative, be scrappy, you know, take your own photos. I make my own content. I make content for my channels. Um, that we use. And that's, yeah, that's definitely the route. Like marketing, you can totally make happen. Unfortunately, I think every other part of the industry is really expensive. No, I'm glad that you highlighted. I think what I appreciate about your perspective is it's obviously harsh, but it's like the reality that people need to hear. And when you talk about watching some of these unicorns implode, whether it's in cannabis or outside of the cannabis industry, I think it's always a good indication too. So like speaking to the listeners for y'all to understand, like you need to kind of watch and see what's happening. I know that when you and I were kind of connecting prior to this call, we were resonating a lot with just kind of, I think the laughability of like national legalization, because it's going to totally like screw so many aspects of the already kind of fractured industry up. And I don't think that the small businesses are obviously presently being taken care of, let alone when the national opportunity opens up. It's like all these MSOs are going to obviously have their foot wedged in that door. And it just, it paints a really interesting picture, right? I think there are a lot of small brands who have these big dreams. I certainly get asked all the time by my customers, you know, oh, you know, if weed becomes legal in Texas, are you going to open a dispensary? And I'm thinking, I don't even know what the fuck the laws are going to be in Texas. I don't know what the requirement is going to be. And so it's very poor planning on my part to have these big grandiose dreams without knowing what is actually the potential possibility for me to have. And so again, I think that's where I try to exist in the industry is this 
not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but just like a realist. Like this is the reality. And obviously being able to have friends like yourself in other markets, like California operating this podcast has given me such a good breadth of understanding. And that's ultimately what I'm trying to deliver to those listening is not a, you know, well, FML, I guess I'm not going to do anything. It's like, no, just be really clear and mindful of how you want to approach it and what steps you're going to take to actually, you know, try to be successful because for sure what has worked for a large brand probably won't work for you and kind of even vice versa. And I think that it's really inconsistent for us to, I always highlight there's multiple roads to the top. I don't think imitating someone or emulating someone is also always going to, which is again, another point of this podcast, I I kind of freely share because they're not me. They can't do the same things I'm doing and they're not you. You know, it's like, you got to use your own strengths and skill sets. And we all certainly have, you know, variations of our goals that we're trying to achieve. But yes, trying to create some sort of like, okay, this gives me, you know, a good parameter. This is the boundary that I can try to play within. So yeah, for me in Texas, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, we just had our legislative session. Texas did not advance medical marijuana in a way that I would have liked to see. I think had they actually increased the percentage to, we're currently at 0.5, we were hoping to go to 5%. And now they've netted with 0.5 to 1%. So it was a very small increase that again, I'm like, okay, well that puts us another two years behind even having a proper medical program. So no, I don't think that anytime soon, even if it goes federally legal, you're going to probably not see it trickle down with full legalization in every state. I mean, another thing that you were highlighting with me when we talked previously was, and you kind of reiterated earlier, but like understanding city to city, municipality to municipality, just because California is legal, and maybe you can kind of give some of that highlight too, just because California is legal, not every city has adopted cannabis laws, and even some of the cities that are legal. Like I think San Diego, you can't have any dispensaries in like the city proper. They all have to be kind of on the outskirts of the city. Kind of help us understand a little bit from your perspective, being in such a prominent legal state, like what are some of the regulations that the businesses that are currently operating are having to navigate through? Because I think everybody glorifies California cannabis and they should, you know, great weed is grown there. And obviously a lot of great brands are coming from that state. So it's a lot of aspiration, I think, for all of us to, um, I I love the brands. I love Dosis. They're one of my favorite brands. I just love their branding. I love their product. Obviously, the brands that you represent too. Canacraft has some really great brands under that umbrella. But kind of aside from that, navigating a cannabis brand in California is quite challenging beyond just the general kind of like, oh, cannabis is difficult. So kind of help us understand a little bit more about the California cannabis industry. Oh, yeah. I mean, Santa Monica has only two medical licenses that they just started. Beverly Hills, no go. Pasadena just gave it. So yeah, it's definitely to your point. It's county by county. And Beverly Hills was really annoying because MedMen is like a block away from Beverly Hills. And we still call it, but it's not in the 90210. So deliveries had the most hard navigating. Because deliveries, it was block by block. (laughs) And everyone just automatically assumes, yeah, like we're in, it's great. But there was no grandfather program. 
West Hollywood, for instance, I had mentioned this to you before in previous conversations, that MedMen and three other dispensaries were operating in WeHo before we flipped, and none of them got licenses granted for legalization. And it became a whole thing because it's like the committee that chose these licenses weren't part of West Hollywood. They were an outsourced committee. So like one, this is how things go. Okay. Like it's not easy. It took years to form these committees. We had to go full campaign, save the original four or something like that, because how could you not do this? All these applications for all the new WeHo dispensaries were all just projections. Like, why couldn't you take from the four that have been operating for years there who have actually understood what's that? Like, it's that kind of stuff where you're just fighting extra hard. It's like, okay, there goes another couple million to lawyers to make sure that now your license gets to stay like the grandfather program and people thinking there's a grandfather program is honestly the worst thing. I've said this before on clubhouse that, you know, you have to have two plans. You have to have a medical where you'll be chilling forever. But once we flip, everyone got screwed, girl. The mom and pops are gone. Mom and pops are gone. All the brands, a lot of them didn't make it. So one of the brands I work for under Canacraft is farmer and the felon. And we work directly with Last Prisoner Project. And we do a lot of partnerships. And one that we did in the spring was with Wham! Phytotherapies. And Wham! Wham! has been a farm in NorCal since the 80s, where people with cancer, people with other ailments could just grow your own. And they've been through hell and back. We flip in 2018. They're now illegal, like actually illegal. Took them a lot of years to get a license again. Now they're Wham! Phytotherapies. So I hate when states flip, unfortunately, because a lot of people are blindsided. It's really hard to get information. Like, that's why I say you have to pay for a really good lawyer and a really good licensor because it's really hard to understand. But this is legal jargon. You need to know that what you're doing and you got to do it right. You know, you only get one shot to do an application and they're not playing. I think I sent you the WeHo applications. Like, these are full blown graphic design rendering. So another piece of advice I always give to people on Clubhouse, especially in New York, is like hire a good graphic designer because this isn't, you put it on word, objective, projection, budget. These are 100-page PDFs that people are coming with, 10-year plans. This industry is not amateur anymore, which is actually when I say that is extremely amateur, but it's not amateur looking. Like, these are execs from Netflix. These are execs from CAA. These are execs from Adidas. Like people are coming in now, which sucks because we have to work through the kinks with these kind of people. But you just got to be ready to play. Like if this is your dream, like this, you got to make it a reality and just like no, no head in the clouds. Like you got to make sure you have all your ducks in a row. So you don't get screwed, especially, you know, if you've been operating for so long, like nothing was worse than seeing all these shops close, all these brands not come back just because of the way it flips. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Like I literally, when you were telling me that, and even just like you resharing it right now, it just, it again, it unfortunately confirms my, you know, deepest fear and heartache of getting into cannabis, which I think 
most people kind of the joke is aside from, I think the California cannabis kind of like, you know, executive, really any executive kind of influence into the industry, but like we all have some sort of personal experience. Cannabis changed my life. It really, truly helped me. You hear this all the time from all these mom and pop brands. And then you just see the horror of like, oh, can we hang on? You know, we're a medical only, or we're the small brand. Then when things flip, it's like, yeah, you just, you you can't assume just because you're established. Like for us, we're a three-year-old CBD brand. You know, we were just named the number one brand in central Texas, but I don't know what's going to happen next year. I don't know what's going to happen when Texas flips to medical. I don't know what those license opportunities are going to look like. And so, yeah, it's very harsh truth, but it's so necessary to be armed with this information, which is what I really appreciate you sharing because I think people need to hear this type of conversation happening. It's true. All my, and I feel it the most from New York because everyone's so stoked. Everyone's so excited. I'm like, look, enjoy this gray area you're in. Y'all are now doing events. Your brands are popping up because you you can do anything you want because no one is, there's no regulations yet. Like enjoy, enjoy this like little prohibition while you can, because it's going to be the hard smack of the law because New York doesn't know what they're doing. They're vertical right now, medical. So that means, you know, if they open up to horizontal, New Jersey is right there. Like it's just so hard to navigate it. And you're always better. Like if you actually do want to like, you know, work in the industry, your best bet is to work in an established state because there are so many jobs out here, you know? So for backtracking for people who actually, you know, want to work in this industry, these are jobs. They're on LinkedIn, they're on Indeed, they're on Glassdoor. So if you're, you know, if your true passion is cannabis, you're going to have a lot of an easier time if you're in a state that is more on the adult use rec side. And that's definitely like, the best bet because then it's just another industry you're trying to work in. I mean, they have lots of jobs. Yeah. It's a great tip to give people that experience. I've heard, I'm sure it's like repeated multiple times, but like everybody should be a bud tender, you know, I think yeah, you getting that experience, to, yeah. like, but just like going and working for a brand, like maybe, yes, you eventually want to own your own brand or business yeah. or something someday, but like, yeah, maybe if you have the opportunity to go, you're young, you're passionate, you're like you, you're a marketer, you're living in Florida and you're like, Hey, I want to go to California. That's where some actions happening. Like I'm going to go do it. I think that's really good advice to kind of, you know, give people that qualification because like cannabis is being legitimized, which I really appreciate. I love that it now has like all these serious job opportunities that like you can work a legit job and get paid and put money in a 401k and like pay your rent and like all your bills and support your family. Mm -hmm. And like, powered by cannabis. So it's obviously really cool to see that shift happen, but I definitely, I think to me, it's just such a dance between, do I want to work in the industry or do I want to run a business in the industry? And so kind of a follow-up question on that front a little bit is, do you have any insight or just like perspective on the like navigation? So there's again, multiple ways to kind of cut this you can either kind of grow, let's say your passion is to grow. Maybe you want to own a dispensary. Do you see kind of that avenue being difficult or more successful versus someone who just wants to make a product, if that makes sense, like versus making the dispensary brand that's more vertically integrated or you're growing and maybe helping other people's brands. Is there any benefit to 
Hey, I just got the license to make edibles. I don't grow it. I just source these really high quality things. And then I have a really great story and brand that I package it up and sell you, you know, pre-rolls or edibles in versus like doing the whole med men shebang of like, I have to have multiple stores. I now operate kind of like, what's your opinion and kind of thought on that? Oh yeah. I mean, I definitely, you're going to be spending so much more money with a dispensary. Like you have people to manage and you have a brick and mortar and you have rent and you have a POS system. Oh yeah. So if you want to, there, you know, there's more, there's more brands and dispensaries. That's for sure. White labeling is incredibly hot right now, especially for flower. I'm seeing so many flower brands that are really nice and really expensive, just being chucked out probably from like the same white labeled manufacturer. But yeah, I mean, it'll be cheaper to run a brand. That's for sure. Less costs, less people you need to work with. You know, we could take Kush Queen as an example. Olivia has never raised. Everything has just entirely relying on word of mouth. She was THC, bath bombs and all the joints and all this fun stuff. And then she moved to CBD. So that's national. And that's, you know, when we put some money into marketing, but when you see all these brands raising, you have to pay them back. Like you have to pay them back. And cannabis really falls into the downfall where it's like making 6 million a month, but you're still losing money. It is so expensive on the back end. It is so expensive. We are taxed to death on all levels here. It is very hard to make a profit in cannabis. The more of an MSO you are, the more you're losing. MedMen, you know, paid 75 million for their license in Florida. Um, MedMen could have just stayed in California and killed it. They could have just been, you know, their 12 stores. Like chains weren't a thing. Like in Florida, chains are a thing because one license equals, you know, at least like 30 because you have to for Florida. But, you know, California, one license, one store. So, you know, I say like, you know, we're the OG MSO. I like, we didn't even know what MSO was in 2018, but we were in six different states. And like, it's all one marketing department in California. So it's like, you know, if you want to go MSO, it's easier for you if you set up a hub because you can't segment your audience on social media organically. So what is the point of Cura Leaf, Arizona, Cura Leaf, Florida? Like MedMen only had one social channel because I'm like, what's the point of making MedMen Las Vegas? I don't know if that's Las Vegas customers because I can't target them. Like we're making noise. Like I think it's pretty lame when dispensaries do all of their locations. Cause I'm like, you're just making so much noise. Like you're just, too you're much. just putting, I you're putting it. more shit. Yeah. You're putting too much. I don't, it's not guaranteed that people following that account live there. So MSOs are really, really difficult. They're very expensive. They're very hard to manage from one central location. So yeah, you know, I would always say go the brand way. You actually have a chance of going into other states. I think I just saw Pure Beauty Inc. like a something million dollar deal with someone for five years in Michigan. So brands are really doing that. Um, you mentioned Dosis. Uh, Dosis partnered with Sertera in Florida to bring Dosis to Florida. So I feel like if you're a brand, you have a lot more opportunity and flexibility to expand to other states way better than a dispensary. Like you'll just be losing so much money if you own a dispensary. Delivery is more popular. Yeah, less overhead. Just think about all the things you have to pay for. And with a brand, you can really have a lot more freedom. 
Liz is spitting straight facts, I am so glad that I was able to have her on the podcast and give you guys an insight into some of the conversations that we have had just trying to make sense of this cannabis industry. But I'm going to keep this exit outro super short and sweet because the episode was super jam-packed. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the To Be Blunt podcast. I super, super, super appreciate it. And I'll be back next Monday with a brand new episode. Bye, y'all. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadatarabi.com slash to be blunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadatarabi.com. 